Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. I'm your returning host, Connor Clancy, and joining me this week, you can hear the screeching, and that is because Dov Schiavone has stood outside a noisy San Siro. Dov, welcome along. Hello, everybody. There's more noise being made now than there was throughout the whole of that Milan Sassuolo game. Yeah, it was strange. It's weird. It's well, know, over the last couple of seasons, it's been quite empty for the majority, but this was a weird one. It was quiet throughout, well, apart from the Kurva, but none of the other fans seemed like they could be bothered. Yeah, as we said, three games in a week might be a little bit too much for the, the Milanisti over there. Um, also joining us is Vito Doria. Vito, it's great to speak to you again. Yes, likewise, uh, Connor. Um, yeah, we missed you on last week's podcast, but good to have you back. And yeah, looking forward to the latest Serie A discussion. It's always nice to hear some fake praise, so thanks for that, Vito. Uh, just before we dive straight <laughs> into this, I should let our listeners know that we have launched a store over on ForzItalianFootball.com and it is stocked as full as you would like it to be with the most beautiful Calcio memorabilia you could ask for. Uh, we've got stuff with Baggio, Batigol. Who else have we got of? Zanetti, Totti. We've got everybody on mugs, clocks, T-shirts, everything you could possibly need. So go over there and get some of that stuff. The uh, Batigol merchandise is proving popular already, as you might expect. Dov, seeing as you are at San Siro, I suppose that's probably the best place to start, given that the game just finished. And Milan were held one each against Sassuolo to let's be honest, end the, any talk of them getting the Champions League. But I don't really want to talk too much about this game. What I want to talk about is Gennaro Gattuso getting a contract extension. Um, how have people in Milan reacted to that? No, I think the, the thing with it is, is he deserved, he deserved it on, well, on, on basically what he's done since he's taken over. I don't, I don't think anybody can deny that. My 
problem with it is I think it's a bit too soon. I think what they should have done is kind of kept kind of doing what they were doing. They had a contract at the end of the season and then sort out at the end of the season, depending on what's, what kind of has, has happened. Because like you say, it looks like they're not going to get the Champions League. They'll be in the Europa League like more or less for definite next season. Um, and then kind of go from there. He's probably got the contract anyway, but I just think now it's like, well, he's there. Does that kind of take away from how the team's going to play, how Gattuso's going to approach things? Because before, he was say fighting for a contract, whereas now it's the contract's done and dusted, so he's got the job, and it's a long contract as well. So, I, I just for me, I just think the timing is not the best time, and particularly in the form they're in right now, is there because they're playing rubbish at the minute. Um, so I think they, they, they could maybe have done with waiting until the end of the season to sort it out then. So I don't think it would have taken too long to, to negotiate. That, that's kind of my problem with it. Yeah, it does seem like it is quite strange timing, especially on the back of two draws and a defeat. But Vito, it's fair to say when Gattuso took over that none of us expected him to do as well as he has done. He has proven most people wrong. Um, but again, is Dov right? It, it, should they just have waited until the end of the season to announce this deal? Maybe fair enough if you want to start discussions, but I don't see much point in making this news public just yet. Yeah, I reckon it was slightly premature because there are still seven rounds left and you, you never know, AC Milan might start declining again. So, yeah, I reckon they could have waited a bit longer and although Gattuso's done really well, I think yeah, end of the season might have been more appropriate just so they have a yeah, bigger scope to sort of look at, you know, bigger period of time to look at. You can kind of see, uh, in a sense, you can kind of understand what they're trying. They're basically telling the um, the players that this this is the guy we're going forward with. There's, there's some stability and all that kind of thing. So you kind of see where they're coming from. I just I agree with kind of what, what you have said. That it's maybe not, it wasn't maybe the right thing to do, I don't think, if, if you look at kind of where they're heading right now. All right, Dov, you were there tonight, so I guess it's probably only right to get you to speak about the game that you did just see. Uh, Milan, in a way, lucky to escape with a point, but also they battered down the door and Andrea Consigli just kept them out for most of it. Well, yeah, well, obviously Consigli was fantastic, but I think as well that Milan were terrible in, in the attacking third. They had Sassuolo pinned back for the entire game, pretty much. Um, and they just really... They're, they're, they're lacking that that kind of final ball, that quality in the final third. They don't really have it, and they've not had it all season. Um, I was looking, just looking at the table before we came on. Every single team in the top ten has scored more goals than Milan. Every single one. You have to go to Genoa where you to, to you find a team that scored less goals than Milan, which is that that kind of tells you the problems that they have in the final third. And you've got. Kalinic, who that, that was his first goal since December tonight. Um, Andre Silva, like, he's scored two goals in, in Serie A this entire season. And Cotroni had a good good month or two in the turn of the new year. They don't have a striker that's going to get them 15 or 20 goals. And even then, the, the guys playing behind them, the, the, I was talking to some of the, the, the guys next to me, and the, the, the lack of movement and the slowness in the passing is, is obvious to see. 
uh, points tonight. Bonaventura and Kessie were given a, a bit more license to get forward, and they essentially just made a, a front five. But it was just a line of five players. There was there was no kind of players dropping back or players kind of go trying to kind of go beyond the Sassuolo defensive line. It was really it was static. And I think Milan made seven hundred passes today, seven hundred, which is you're you're kind of getting towards Napoli levels of passing, and they, they did nothing with the ball, and and that's a problem that they've had all season, and and that's something that they'll need to address in the summer, because um, I don't uh, if they if they keep things as they are, then they're not going to kind of move forward, which is obviously what they want to do. But the biggest uh, it was no, was I... great, but Milan were their own worst enemy. Yeah, well, Milan's main creative outlet is really Suzo, and he's he's a good player, but I, I'm not quite sure he's at that elite level that Milan are aiming to be at just yet. Um, if you will ever reach that as another question, Vito, I can't remember if we've spoken about this before, so forgive me if we have. But should they be looking to upgrade on Suzo this summer? Maybe cash in on him while his stock is relatively high and being a better player for that position. I definitely think so. I remember after the Arsenal versus Milan game in the Europa League that we were talking about certain performances and certain performers, and I reckon that as talented as Suzo is, sometimes he can be one-dimensional. He's like a skinnier and slower version of Iron Robin in that sense. So I think they need a right-winger who can be more unpredictable, more decisive, and also be able to step up in big games for the Rossoneri. Yeah, just as you were saying that, it all kind of came back to me that we probably did discuss that a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to move on from Milan. Dov, you've unmuted your mic. Have you any final thoughts to add before well, we move just, on? I was just going to say like, just a couple of rumours on that topic. One is uh, Jose Callihan from Napoli um, with a potential swap deal with Susu going to Napoli and Callihan coming up here, which that would be interesting. And then Memphis Depay, who's another one, we, we wrote about this on the website actually last week, where obviously they have been linked with him, but he actually wants to come here. Um, I was speaking to a Dutch journalist who works up here, and he knows Memphis's kind of entourage, if you like, and, and the management company that um, look after him. And basically, it's, it's maybe a little bit different in terms of do the kind of usual agent like Raiola who basically wants to get as much money as possible. The management company actually look into the tactics that the team plays, um, the training facilities, the medical facilities, and how they would fit in with Depay's style and, and needs, basically. And they've essentially said that Milan is a good fit for him, the way that they are now. Obviously, Milan Lab's fantastic, and, and the way that Gattuso's playing as well. So that, uh, and he was asked about it on international duty. He didn't kind of completely deny it, but apparently he would like to come here as well. So it's just a case of if Milan can sort something out with Leon. You could see that being quite a good signing because he's he's been good everywhere he's been except for at Manchester United when it was probably just too big of a step too soon for him. So that's definitely one worth keeping an eye on. Thanks for that information. Uh, Vito, Juventus went to Benevento and they just about beat them. The score will say 4-2, but Benevento deserve a lot of credit for the way they played there. They they equalised twice and it took two penalties and a touch of absolute class from Douglas Costa for Juventus to eventually get the points. It was an exciting game and it was largely due to Benevento actually giving 
Juventus a bit of a fright. Uh, Benevento usually play very well when they're going down the wings and they're going directly. They have a lot of speed on the wing, especially with Guillermo and the youngster, the youngster, sorry, Enrico Brignola. So, yeah, they really gave the Bianconeri defence some trouble. And Cech Diabite with his two goals, he's he was uh, very threatening for the Bianconeri defence with his height and physique. And it looks like he's a really good finisher for Benevento. So it would be good for Roberto De Zerbi, the Benevento tactician, to utilise him a bit more, although it's probably too late for them in terms of Serie A survival and all that. Yeah, I was thinking that there was at one point um, Diabate had scored a goal every 34 Serie A minutes, which is impressive. And you got to think that with Benevento going down, he'll probably get another club. Juventus, if we're going to talk about Juve, specifically Paolo Dybala, because he kind of went missing for them in midweek Madrid. And I don't mean to be too harsh, but he has gone missing in a few big games for them in the not too distant past. Dov. Is this something that he needs to improve on if he wants to become at that really top level? Because we hear him being compared to Messi and stuff like that, and he's nowhere near that standard at the moment. No, he's not. Well, you look at Messi, what Messi did um, uh, against Roma, what he did the weekend. When Messi wants to score, he scores. And Cristiano Ronaldo is almost exactly the same. Cristiano Ronaldo makes a difference in big games like he did against Juventus. Um, I think before that game, he'd score something ridiculous, like 18 goals in seven La Liga games. Paulo Dybala is having his best season, but it's, it's all good scoring a hat-trick against Benevento, but really what Juventus want is him to score a hat-trick against Real Madrid. And, and if he's not doing that, then obviously he's got a ceiling. And I think th- I would ask questions about where his head is, because in the final against Real Madrid didn't show up and then obviously that led to problems with Bonucci and Dani Alves and then the rest of the Juve squad and then again against Real Madrid obviously he wanted to make amends for what happened in Cardiff and again it wasn't it wasn't in the game did, did nothing and then his head went again and that's something that you'd probably expect Juve to look at um, because he's their well, they expect him to be their talisman if he stays because there's rumours that he might be leaving in the summer you know, if they want him to be their talisman going forward, then he, that's something that he needs to sort out and be able to to go into these big games knowing that he has the ability because he does. He's a really he's a good he's a fantastic player. He had to, to have that ability to unlock the the highest caliber defenses, which so good doing it in Serie A, but you need to be able to do it in the Champions League in the later rounds, which is something that as yet. He doesn't have, and he's not young as well. That's the thing. People, oh, he's a youngster. He's like 24 years old. So he's, he's kind of getting to that point in his career where he needs to start doing it. Otherwise, people like me are still going to start getting on his back and calling him rubbish. Yeah, well, he had that game against Barcelona last season, and I had been critical of him up until then. And when he had that performance, I just thought, right, this is Paolo de Balanau. He's going to kick on from here. But then... That was in, what, the quarterfinals? He didn't really do it in the final, and he's kind of come up short in the bigger games this season. Even against Spurs, I know he scored that important goal, but it was all because of Gonzalo Higuain's work, and Higuain gets criticised if he doesn't score in big games, and I think he's probably taken a lot of the flack that could possibly be aimed at Dybala instead. Vito, one person who doesn't deserve criticism of this sort is Douglas Carr. It took him a couple of months to settle in in Serie A, but he has seriously hit the ground running on a late contender for goal season at the weekend. 
I certainly agree with that last bit. It was a fantastic goal. He just basically ran to the right wing and then he cut in and to hit the ball with the left foot and get that swerve on it too. I think it was an absolutely stunning strike. That's what Juventus needs, someone who can provide that additional X factor. And when he came on, Juventus looked like a more dangerous team as well. Allegri is a coach that sometimes puzzles me with his substitutions, especially with his timing of them, but he managed to get his right as opposed to De Zerbi, who has less depth to work with. And I thought he took off his two best players, De Zerbi, when Brignola and Diabite came off, uh, Diabate came off. So, yeah, that also played into Juve's hands too. You mentioned Allegri there, and he's been kind of in the headlines around Italy for a while now, and it, it looks like his time there might be coming to an end. I think the club have spoken about it to say that he's going nowhere, as you would expect of them. But, Dove, what do you think? Has, has Allegri kind of hit a ceiling at Juventus? And it's probably time for him to move on, because he's not going to win the Champions League now if he didn't do it last season. Well... It's maybe not a ceiling, but I think you. I mean, we've got to kind of look at what he's done there. He, he's continued what Conte did in terms of winning the Scudetto every single year, and he's got the two Champions League finals. So he's done all that. Let's be honest. And the Champions League is a hard competition to win. Um, I think that the the problem Juve have is that top top echelon of player that other teams can buy. I think me and Vieri spoke, uh, well, we spoke about this in a video which is still to be published, but that top echelon of player, like say for example Lewandowski, Lewandowski is a better striker than Gonzalo Higuain, but Juventus can't afford Lewandowski. So there's a problem there. Um, Douglas Costa, Douglas Costa is a good player, but he's a, 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 he couldn't get into the Bayern Munich team. Bayern Munich are, are going to be in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Juventus need to get players that are good enough to play for Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, now Manchester City. They need to get players at the top echelon. The problem is they can't afford it. In terms of Allegri's future, um, some websites, which shall remain nameless, but I'm sure people will know the ones I'm talking about, seem to go on Twitter and find a couple of tweets and think, oh, this is news, when Allegri apparently told the squad that he's leaving already, which uh, I don't believe for a second. Um, the club denied it all the other newspapers in Italy have basically said it's hashtag fake news and that he, he was, he's, wants to stay, but he's got certain conditions in terms of um, what he wants um, playing-wise next summer or in, in the summer. So uh, he, he's, he could leave if an offer comes in. Chelsea is the one that kinda most people have been linking with, but I think he'd be quite happy to stay if, if he's given the resource to properly go for the Champions League again. Because I think Juventus are now at a point in time where it's almost like the, the, the Cristiano Ronaldo goal is almost like a watershed for them. It's like, right, that, that goal is basically, right, that's the end of Buffon, Barzali, to an extent Chiellini, um, Marchisio's probably going to leave. Like, there's a spine of players there that are going to be replaced or, or should be replaced. And Allegri obviously needs the resource to then replace them with players of top quality. And I think if he gets that, he'll stay. If not, then you'll probably see him in the Premier League sooner than, rather than later. Yeah, I was just following on what you were saying, Dov, that I reckon Allegri, to a degree, 
has hit a ceiling, but it's largely for the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, they need a bigger squad for the Champions League. They lack a, a real world-class player, a real player who can provide that X factor. And in particular, they haven't had a proper number 10, to be honest. I think when there were chances to get Enric Mkhitaryan, James Rodriguez or Julian Draxler, Julian Draxler, I think that uh, was a chance for them to really bolster the midfield. But instead, with the Paul Pogba money, they seemed very keen to get Gonzalo Higuain and to stabilise Napoli to agree. But I think in the long term, it's been, it hasn't been a worthwhile move. So I reckon Allegri would be better off going to the Premier League or to another big European club. Well, I think like he's he's kind of got that that caliber that 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 ability about on now, given the fact of what he's done at Juve, because it has been he's done a really good job. Deny that. Um, I think in terms of just the the problems are the players that Juventus can attract, and obviously money is a a factor. But then also they they want to go to teams that that can win the Champions League every season, and that's the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona. Um, and when when, you've, when you're trying to compete with kind of essentially two super clubs, and then you've got Premier League teams that can pay players a lot more than Juventus can, it's a problem. As much as obviously Juventini have probably got on my back and say Juventus have done this and done that and won this and won that, but the problem is when Lewandowski comes in and demands 12 million euros a year, Juventus have not got a hope in hell of paying it. They have to pay less for Higuain, and Higuain's a good striker in terms of Serie A, but. When it comes to Champions League final, again, another one who disappeared. Nice place to move on to Napoli, Kiev one. Dov, you tweeted me during this to say the cream always rises and that proves right in this game. Anyway, Napoli yeah. rose to the top and Amadou Diawara scored a brilliant goal, it has to be said, late on to seal all three mm. points. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of tempted to just say Roland ran and let you two argue for and against it because I know you both feel passionately either side of that argument. So, Vio, did Moran's plan eventually just blow up in his face here? It certainly did. And I think it read, it goes to show that conservatism can only get you so far in this day and age. Coaches like Rolando Moran must realise this is not the 1960s or 70s. Italian football and football in general has evolved and Good on Napoli for hanging on to the very end and breaking down that resilient Kiev defence because Kiev almost... What, what, what do you want them to do? They're, they're Kiev, they've got a budget that's probably like about 1% of Napoli's budget. They can't go there and, and try and go all out attack because if they do that, they'll get picked up and lose 5 nothing. They lost 2-1 with two goals in the last minutes, which for... Maybe not 5 nothing. I'd say 5-4, actually. <laughs> no, the, the Kevo don't score four goals. That's ridiculous. Um, but not you can't a team like Kevo to do that. They, they're not going to do that. The small team they will go there and they'll go and try and Ten years ago, they could do that. And similar quality players. Mm. They've got to change the way they recruit coaches, Kevo. Orlando Moran is a fantastic coach. Come on. Maybe, maybe for lower teams, it's provincial style, but Kevo's got to evolve their style. They've got a good youth academy. They've had players who've punched over above their weight in the last 15, 20 years, I think they can do so much more, even with their limited budgets. Uh, look at Atalanta. They got a 
youth academy. They don't have many big names, but the producing players and Gasparini's got a good style of football. So um, maybe that's a model for Kiel to look at. Well, the thing, the thing the, comparing Cable to Atalanta, Atalanta have had a youth system that's produced players for 25, 30 years. Cable's youth system, you could argue, has only really produced players in the last five years. Five? And even then, mm. the, the players that they've produced haven't been of the quality that Atalanta have produced. Because any, Atalanta basically hoover up any good player, youth players in the north of Italy. That's why we've got such a good system. If you're decent in the north of Italy, you go to the Atalanta Academy, end of story. Kievo do what Kievo do. Kievo want to stay in Syria. It's not like a, Atalanta's from a town. Kievo are from a suburb of a town. It's, it's very like they're, they're Kievo are smaller than Atalanta as a club. So you can't expect them to to go to Juve or Napoli or Milan. Oh, there's the there's the bus. Go to Juve, Napoli or Milan and and try and and take these teams on at foot, playing playing football because they can't do it. They've not got the players to do it. And then especially at the minute, because Cable at the minute are a bit of, a bit of a transition because they've got a lot of old players that are kind of coming to the end of careers and they're bringing in a few youth players, but that takes time. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, I just thought, yeah, also in comparison to other teams and other games, I thought they could have offered a little bit more on the counterattack. I didn't think the transitions were very good. But at least for that one moment, Kievo did show that they could pounce on any defensive error Napoli had. It's just that, yeah, towards the end, uh, perhaps Kiev were looking a bit tired. They opened up and then with the subs, that turned the game around for Napoli. Yeah. What, what do you think, though, about uh, about Napoli's kind of mentality? Because I've been a bit critical in the last couple of weeks about how, they, um, how they've looked. They've looked fragile. And I think... Well, I just seen the goals before we came on, and I was thinking that that's kind of almost like a, a, a watershed moment for Napoli, whereas getting two goals in such dramatic circumstances to keep 
any semblance of a skidet or a Salive could really um, galvanise a team in the last seven games. It showed to me that compared to the first two seasons under Maurizio Sarri, they looked like they were able to get these so-called scrappy wins or slightly ugly wins, if you like, because usually they would bottle them. And as you said, the mentality, I don't think the mentality is still strong enough to win a Scudetto. Usually total winning teams, they can win ugly or whenever things don't go their way, they can find a way to get the win. Napoli often usually gets victories because they play entertaining football and they play with style. But in this season, they have had those close wins and managed to get the low-scoring wins, if you like, even despite not playing with the same fluidity and style that they're usually accustomed to. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. There's obviously like it's, it's a massive thing for them and the city. And uh, just on, I was on media set premium. I was watching the kind of highlights of the game, and they were they were, they were kind of balancing it with uh, photos of the, the, the images of the fans and stuff, and the, kind of what they went through in the game. Because obviously, when Stepinski scored that goal, it was just like right, that that's it, it's done and dusted. And, and then, obviously. Uh, Milik and, and Diawara just come on and go, well, maybe not done and dusted. I just think it's, it's it's moments like that that can change how a team thinks and what a team does, um, especially kind of going into this stage of the season. Uh, you mentioned Milik there at the end, but Eric Milik and Diawara basically are two players who don't start for Napoli. And a lot of the criticism of Napoli is that they haven't had enough depth in recent weeks. Did these two boys prove that today they are more than capable of stepping in? Or is that also the problem? That that is probably where the depth stops. They've got those two guys in Zielinski, but after that, there's not much reinforcements to come into the starting eleven. Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, there's not much depth still. And it's not really ideal to base things on one game. In saying that, though, I think it's uh, great that Samilic and Hirara out of all the players that Napoli have did score because it should uh, reinforce into Sari's mind that the players off the bench can actually make some sort of a difference. And on the basis of the game against Kiev, they needed to turn things around because Mertens and Insigne, they just did not have that shooting accuracy or prolificacy. I, I kind of felt sorry for Dries Mertens in recent weeks because he just he's just looked so exhausted for about a month now. And with Milik only coming back from his injury, that they haven't really had the chance to throw him in. But maybe Milik will just be thrown in now in the next couple of weeks and he might kind of help them get that title race back on track. Although, Dov, I know you're, I know you're skeptical. It's not happening. It's not happening at all. <laughs> like the, 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 horn, the horns, the horns, it's just not happening. They're not going to do it. Here's one. Napoli have come back from losing positions eight times a season more than any other club in Serie A this season. Juventus don't do that because they don't get in that position. There's a small difference between the two teams. Juventus win games from the start. Napoli almost, it's like they claw back wins and they struggle to get wins and they just get it and keep everybody believing and no, they're not going to do it. It's, they need to win in Turin. If they win in Turin and do it, then fantastic. But I just don't think they'll do that. No, I do. I, I think the defeat last or the draw against the Swallow kind of 
brought me over to your side of the fence. But I'm just, I'm just clinging on to whatever I can of. Let me have it for now because it keep, doesn't happen every year. Keep believing me. Keep believing. If it keeps you happy, keep <laughs> believing. Look, we've got a title race for once, so I'm allowed to get a little bit excited about that, if nothing else. Um, something that didn't get me excited was Inter nil three no one, or should be the other way around. Really, it was it was in Turin. Dov, you were there as well. I was there. Yes. Um, Fucking be different. Talk us through it. Talk <laughs> us through it. I was. It was fun. I was. I was almost a carbon copy of tonight's game. Like Inter had Torino pinned back for the majority. Bellotti was moaning and lying around. And come, actually, I'll get back to Bellotti's moaning because this was fantastic. But um, yeah, like Inter had all the possession. They had all the well, they were they weren't shooting as much as they probably could have. But they just could not break down Torino at all. Uh, Perisic was rubbish. Icardi does what Icardi does. If he doesn't get good service, he's, he's almost as if you're playing without a. Uh, a, a, a man on the park and that's what happened um, Borja Valero, the Borja Valero Rafinha thing is a bit strange Spalletti said at the press conference afterwards that it was basically because the, Rafinha's not played for two years so it's a task him to play three games in a week too much which you can understand but Borja Valero every time he got the ball he wanted to take three or four touches before doing anything and obviously one of the problems that Inter Milan both have is that they're just so slow sometimes to, to get things done so they just need some a, a couple of bits of quick passing and, and, and you'll, you'll break through these defences and they just didn't do that. Um, and, and it's funny, the, the, the player that, that was try, was, looked like he was trying to score was Kandreva, who has not scored this season, which I was surprised when I realised that. Um, and he was the one that, that was like the only Inter player that looked like he wanted to have a shot on goal. Granted, he was having the mental shots. Um, but Sirigu was was almost like Consili today. He was in amazing form. Did two or three great saves, um, and that basically then Inter were going to win. But the best thing, the thing that could have stood out for me was on the goal because I don't know if you've seen this on the TV. You probably would have missed it. But um, Belotti was trying to play through Iago Falke, and Iago Falke wouldn't run forward. So so Belotti's like he's like he's like signaling with his arm like run. Go run and Iago Falke kind of didn't do it. And then Bellotti played the pass anyway that Di Silvestri got on the end of and the latch ended up scoring with. And then basically after he played the pass and it looked like it wasn't going to go to anybody, Bellotti just went crazy at Falke with shirt. Like, what the hell are you doing? You should make the run. Why did you not make the run? Like, scored and Bellotti's still going to Iago Falke. Why? Like, I'm telling you to run. Why did you not run? I'm looking for the pass. The pass is there. And then they all went to celebrate and Bellotti and Falke are still literally standing on the edge of the box arguing with each other about making runs out of like Christ almighty. It was like it was quite funny to watch. And then eventually they kind of realized that they scored and uh, <laughs> and they went over to celebrate. That was quite good actually. Um it was one of those the cameraman didn't notice it or at least he didn't focus in on it, but they kind of kept cutting across the other camera angles that were focusing on the celebration. You could just see these two guys either in the foreground or the background going mental at each other. But Bellotti's spot on there. Falke, stop being lazy, move and maybe Torino wouldn't be They'd be pushing on a bit more. Uh, right, I'm going to move through this because I'm not quite sure how long my internet's going to last because I'm about to switch over to um, my personal hotspot on my phone. Roma, to, Roma Fiorentina ended up 2-0 to La Viola and Roma absolutely dominated the game but Fiorentina were happy for that to happen and they just picked them off on the counter-attack. Marco Sportiello was uncharacteristically brilliant and Vito, I want to talk about Giovanni Simeone because... He scored a brilliant goal, and if ever there's a goal to sum up what this player is all about, it was that one. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, Saponara created two goals in that game, including the second one for Simeone, and that involved playing a nice one too. But what I liked about Simeone, especially with that goal, was he never gave up. It wasn't a silky and elegant goal in the Leon Messi type, but it was just a goal which required great persistence and determination. And he managed to barge through that Roma defence convincingly and he never gave up until he took that final shot. So I really liked the way he took that goal and, yeah, I'd like to see more goals like that instead of just, you know, your fox-in-the-box type goals. Yeah, someone mentioned to me on Twitter that there was something of a Luis Suarez type goal to it and I completely agree with that. He just powered forward and really there were two Roma defenders in front of him. I think it was Perez and Manolas and he shouldn't be getting there and defending was poor, but he just made sure he got through them and finished. Even the finish was scrappy. Allison came out and he shouldn't have got there, but he did. Dov, I've been quite impressed with Fiorentina since the tragic events of last month. And there seems to be a, a serious unity amongst that squad. Uh, they are just going to keep on winning for a while, aren't they? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of something that I thought about at the time and that, it's, it's events like that that really bring a team together um, and get that extra 10, 20% that they maybe wouldn't have got um, beforehand that, that they can kind of drag drag things out of players because they, they can maybe see that there's something bigger to fight for or something bigger to do or a greater cause, if you like. And I think that, that that's happened at Fiorentina. Um I think they've won, what, six games since that, that tragedy. And obviously, sad and stuff like that, but it's good to see that, that Fiorentina are at least kind of... It's almost like every single time they take on the they, they take to the pitch, they're kind of doing it for a story, almost, which is seeing them go far. And, and, and now they're probably going to make Europe as well, which I think would be fantastic. Yeah, it would be quite a, a fitting end to the season. They have they've won six Serie A games in a row for just the second time in a season since nineteen fifty nine sixty, which is a remarkable amount of time. And you sent me that stat yesterday over on Slack Dov, so I, I thank you for that. Um, we'll keep moving through these. Another game you were at Dov because you seem to have been at every second Serie A game this weekend was the Derby della Lanterna. Vito will obviously have thoughts on this. A finished scoreless and. It's fair to say that that is exactly what Genoa wanted because no team has ever won Derby four times in a row. Samp were on for it and Genoa decided to park two buses in front of the goal and see, they got the job done. Yeah, I see now. I wasn't, it didn't seem like that at the game, if I'm being perfectly honest. It just seemed like you had kind of two teams that they don't, attacking-wise... They they're, they're, they kind of struggle to have a bit of that je ne sais quoi, if you like. Genoa more so than Sampdoria, but I thought it was kind of it was quite end to end at times. Um, it was it was a derby. It was like a proper derby. It was quite exciting. It was exciting. Like, uh, obviously, the, the quality wasn't there, but it was like you had two teams that were going at it and going for each other. So it was it was enjoyable. And obviously, the fans and the stadium it's, uh, it makes the derby. It's fantastic. Vito, Vito, I know Vito. You probably got more to say about it than I have. But I'll, I'll let you go for now, and then I'll uh, I'll come back. I'll come back in. Well, with Genoa, they probably had a few counterattacks in the first half, and that's probably where they looked a little bit dangerous. But in reality, the Griffoni played like a team that played not to lose. They did what they had to do. 
um, Ballardini has made this team more pragmatic and the fighting for survival. So they they did what they believed was the best way to stop Sampdoria, and they did. It's the first time Marco Giampaolo's loss uh, has not won a Genoa derby. But there we also saw the two philosophies of the team differ. Uh, Sampdoria go out to play football, play possession football, create chances, whereas Genoa attempt to stifle us, and they did that. Yeah, I mean, one, one, th- one of the things kind of noticed was it's the first thing I've seen Torriera for a week, for live for a, a while. And I, I was watching kind of how he's playing the game and how Linetti was playing the game. And it's, uh, he, he's so aware of everything that goes around him. You see him when he's, when he's kind of moving into position, looking at where the opposition players are. But Linetti was basically just following the ball, just following the game. It's wherever the ball was, he would be kind of in that direction. But Torreira is kind of looking where he's positioning, what he's going to do next. He, he is... Obviously, everybody knows he's fantastic, but he's even you can appreciate him a bit more when you can see what he's doing off the ball as well. So aware of everything that's going on around him. Yeah, I Let's saw see. Sam play in... Um, oh, sorry, Vidal, I'll go to you in a second. I saw Sam play in pre-season, and Lucas Torreira was one of those players that I, I was just kind of keeping an eye on, and he was that. Wherever he went, he was so aware of what was around him. He knew if he had the time to take one touch, three touches, however many... He barely put a foot wrong, and it's good to see that he's doing that in competitive games as well. Fido, over to you. As I was about to say before, what I've noticed this season in comparison to his first is that he's more confident going forward now. Before, he was just more or less a ball winner in midfield, but I reckon he's got more confidence entering the opposition half, and he's more willing to go deeper whenever the chances present themselves. So... Definitely, when it comes to his on-the-ball on movement and when the team is in possession, I think he's become smarter and he's playing uh, sharper prices, uh, sharper passes too. Well, he's got, he's got like a bit of freedom from Giampaolo because Linetti and Pright are basically, they're, they're set to chase the ball and win the ball back and give it to Torreira, essentially. That's how that kind of midfield three operate. Torreira is the one with that little bit extra class, and I think Giampaolo's kind of realised that as uh, the season's kind of gone on, and basically told, told the other two, get the ball, give it to him, he's better than you. Well, I slightly disagree with that. With Linetti, I can understand because he's box to box, but Dennis Pratt, I think in general he's had a great season, but his recent injury has held him back a bit, but he's got some good technique on the ball too, and I thought his passing was pretty good, but uh, Torreira, you can say he's got a higher ceiling. So in that aspect, I suppose with Prat, his technical ability is probably not standing out as much. Uh, Vito, you guys lined up with three centre-forwards on the pitch and Caprari, Quagliarella and Zapata. And as we said, Genoa, kind of, their main attacking outlet was either Goran Pandev or Diego Lexalt, who's himself a fullback. So, it kind of says a lot about where the two teams are at at the moment that Samp could afford to play three strikers against Genoa and still not have to worry too much about conceding. Yeah, that's true. And I reckon it also shows that uh, offensively, they're probably our best three players because Ricky Alvarez has been disappointing in general. And Gaston Ramirez, he had a good half, first half of the season, but the second half hasn't been as good. So there have been games where he has improved recently, but I reckon to start those three, Caprari, Quagliarella and 
the Zapata, I think it was justified, although the score doesn't suggest that. But the recent form and also the characteristics, I think, uh, yeah, in hindsight, I still would have uh, gone with that um, front three as well. Just to finish things off and before we go, things at the bottom are still very interesting. Verona beat Cagliari 1-0, Crotone beat Bologna 1-0, and Spal held Atalanta at home one each. So between Verona in 19th and Chievo in 15th, there's just four points separating those teams. And then Sassuolo are up in 14th on 30 points. So it's really anyone can still go down. Dov, who are, who are you backing? There's two, well, I was looking at the fixtures, actually, the run-ins, and there's a, one uh, cable still to play Spal and Crotone. Um, I think there's one weekend, I think Spal play for Benevento and Chievo have got Crotone in the same weekend. Um, it's going to, it looks like it's going to come down to head-to-heads. Basically, if, if whoever wins or when the teams play each other, it looks like that that's going to be the, the team that's going to stay up. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's worrying. I thought Kivo were going to do the business as well. I thought after Crotone are winning, Verona's winning, I thought Kivo, they've got it against Napoli and everything's going to be all good, but it doesn't happen like that. You might have to leave your comforts of the San Siro and head to the Bentagodi or the Stadio Pelo Mazza in the last couple of weeks of the season. Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. It depends how close it's getting because I don't fancy that. So I was at the Derby with Verona. They lost, so I'm not a lucky charm for them this season. Sure, head down to Ferrara. It's a beautiful place. Got some. Uh, I've been to Ferrara. Ferrara. Ferrara is nice. It's a nice place. It's a not proper old school stadium. And it's really close to the train station, which is handy. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's, a, it's about a 10-minute walk, <laughs> if even that. From uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. As all football stadiums should be. I, I made this point when I was over in Italy last with Luca Gumbi. But, well, um, no, exa- no, it's true because, for example, if you're going to, like, Florence is a bit of a pain in the backside because it's next to the other train station. Juventus Stadium is a nightmare because it's in the arse end of nowhere and you can barely get there. The San Siro's a bit of a pain, but the, the Metro's here, so it's all right. But like, I like the ones that are right in the city centre that you can just walk to the San Paolo's an annoyance as well. They should have just have, just like, basically knock down flats in city centres next to train stations and just build stadiums there to make it easy for everybody. Knock down flats to make Dov happy. That's the, the message from, and possibly the title from this podcast. Who knows? Um, right, guys. Good idea. Yeah, I reckon it's a good idea. Move the flats <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> make it Just tourist swap. friendly. <laughs> so either swap the flats on the stadium or swap the flats on the train station and everyone will be Exactly. Out exactly. We got all these people coming over and they can't bloody get to the stadiums because they're like 100 miles away from where they are. Just... Easy for everybody. More people will come to the stadiums then, maybe. Who knows? All right. So everybody needs to be more like Spal is the real message we're taking from this week's podcast. Guys, that's going to do it because I'm, I'm very nervous about my internet. So, Dov, thank you for joining us with the, the scenery of the San Siro around you. Say goodbye. Oh, I have to say it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> I'll, I'll do like... There's, there's the little Milan thing, San Siro. There's the roof of the San Siro. You get a tour. How fun is this? Um, there you go. Right. Bye, everybody. I need to go and do work. <laughs> and uh, an extra incentive there for those who just listened to this to tune in on YouTube because the last 30 seconds would have been completely lost. And your Vito Doria, thank you very much for joining us. Let the people know about your social media things. Yes. Uh, thank you, Connor. Um, of course, on Twitter, you can follow me at Vito C. Doria. That's the same for my Instagram. 
I probably haven't kept that up to date as much, but Twitter, I'm often there. Facebook, there's my fan page, uh, Vito Doria, and, of course, keep uh, reading the stuff on the Forza Italian Football website and listening to the pod, obviously. Of course, I'm at Conjai Clancy on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook by my name. Find us by looking up Forza Italian Football on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you have, we'll be there. And as I said at the top of the show, do visit the shop because we've got some beautiful stuff up there and there's plenty of Roberto Baggio merchandise for you, which isn't selling as well as it should be. He's, he's trailing in the race, but I have confidence that Baggio will pull through. All right, guys, um, that's everything. Until next time, it's ciao for now. Ciao. Non chiedermi perché Di tempo ne è passato E siamo ancora qua E oggi come allora Difendo la città Non chiedermi perché Di tempo ne è passato E siamo ancora qua E oggi come allora Difendo la città up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.